So then let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambodasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa. Tonight's talk is about the defilements, the kilesas, and the three trainings. And the question I'm going to start with is a question that I have already asked you earlier in this retreat. Like, what was the, what was your motivation to come here and practice vipassana meditation? Or why are you here doing what we call practicing vipassana meditation? And different people have different answers to this, quest, to this question. And maybe even your answer to the question has changed within these few weeks that you're here. Maybe initially you came here just to reduce your stress a little bit, to feel a bit more at ease and at peace in life. But now maybe you have understood that there is more, more to the practice of meditation, more uh, to really purify the heart and the mind from all that which causes the problems and sufferings and misery and dissatisfaction. Another possible answer to this question is to do this practice as a, as a preparation for death. And this was Mahagandayan Siado's answer to the question put forth by a friend of his, a monk, who asked him, what are you doing? And Mahagandayan Siado was a very famous and well-known Siado in Burma. He established the famous Mahagandayan Monastery in Amarapura, in Upper Burma, near Mandalay. And he was a scholar, but also a practitioner, and he had this unique gift of explaining the profound Dhamma in simple and easy to understand words. So also for lay people who had not studied the Buddha's teaching or Abhidhamma, he could make them understand. Also, he had the gift of explaining the Abhidhamma, this quite detailed and complicated uh, teaching, in yeah, easy to understand ways. And one of his books that he wrote in Burmese is Abhidhamma in Daily Life. This has been uh, translated into English. So anyway, when his 
friend asked Mahagandayan Seado, what are you doing? His answer was, I am preparing for death. Which meant that all the activities of Mahagandayan Seado were aimed at, at accumulating wholesomeness and at developing wisdom so that at the time of death he could pass away with a peaceful mind and, as he said, with a smile on his face instead of being overwhelmed by fear, remorse or restlessness. Of course, the ultimate goal of the Buddha's teaching is to overcome all kinds of suffering, to reach the cessation of suffering, or Nibbana. But on the way to this ultimate goal, we can have smaller goals that seem to be in the reach of our abilities. So to experience this ultimate goal of the cessation of suffering or experiencing um, real peace and happiness, we need to do something. Perfect peace and deep happy happiness will not simply manifest out of the blue or fall down as a gift from the heavens. All those who have experienced this highest goal, they had to do something or to engage in some practice, namely to engage in the work of purifying their heart and mind. And so in this process of purifying the heart and mind, in this process uh, we need to abandon the defilements, the kilesas, and we need to develop wisdom and compassion. And in order to achieve this goal, the Buddha proposed a practical way that can be applied, that can be practiced by anyone who is interested in purifying their hearts and minds. And so this practical way is the Noble Eightfold Path. I talked about it last week. So a path with eight factors, and these eight factors can be divided into three groups. The Sila group, Virtue group, the Samadhi group, Concentration group, and the Wisdom group, Panya. The Sila group, the group of virtue, is fulfilled by leading a virtuous life, which means to follow a basic set of ethical guidelines. And as a basic set of ethical guidelines, the Buddha proposed the five precepts, or in retreat, we can observe the eight precepts or the nine precepts 
as we do here. Nuns and monks, they follow their uh, precepts or monastic rules. Then the Samadhi aspect, not the Samadhi group, concentration group, is realized through the practice of Samatha meditation or tranquility meditation. And the wisdom group, Panya group, this one is fulfilled through the practice of Vipassana meditation and the experience of of past knowledge and fruition knowledge. So how these three groups can be fulfilled, how the practice can be fulfilled. So this is just a very general outline. It's never that clear-cut. Some aspects are a bit overlapping. So the basic instructions for the practice of Vipassana meditation are quite simple and straightforward. As you know, something like mindfully observe everything in this body and mind at the time of their arising as they really are. Although this instruction or this advice is quite simple, to actually put it into practice, it's not so simple or it's not so easy. And it's not a work that is easily done. Because if it were a work that is easily done, then people would flock to meditation centers and monasteries in thousands. They would do the work and then go home fully enlightened. Wouldn't it? this be nice? <clears throat> so to engage in this work, we need some understanding or we need some encouragement from a friend or maybe a life crisis propels us to do this practice or an illness or simply um, a nagging dissatisfaction with life. So those who have no incentive or no good reason to engage in this practice, they may see this work, this practice, as something meaningless, as useless, as a waste of time, or as something boring, maybe at least in the West people seem this way. In Burma, I found out that most people understand that this work, the practice of meditation, is the best thing that you can do in your life. When I was in Burma practicing, I had ordained as a nun, and after two years being there, my parents came to visit. And so we hired a car and went around to some places 
um, to see the monasteries and pagodas. And being a Western nun, you know, people um, saw me easily because I was usually about one head taller <laughs> than everybody else, and my fair skin was also quite different. So when my parents with me um, would visit a, a pagoda or a temple, Burmese people, they would come up to me and with hands in Anjali, they would say, ah, oh, Siali, um, how good you are a nun, in which monastery are you staying, who is your teacher, how long have you been here? And I would tell them that I was at the Chamyayeta meditation center and so on. And they were really very excited and said, ah, you know, it's so good that you're doing this, you're doing the best thing in your life, you know, there's nothing better than uh, to do this. And actually, I also would like to, but I have to take care of my uh, sick mother, I have to do this and so on, so I don't have the time. And so, then I would say, yes, and this is my mother and this is my father. And then they would turn over, still with hands in Anjali, oh, your lucky parents, you know, your daughter is a nun, you know, she's doing the best thing with her life. You know, you're so lucky to have such a daughter, you know, you can be proud of your daughter. And so I translated for my parents. And after a month, and after having had such encounters almost every day, they really started to understand that what I was doing was not simply kind of a weird thing, uh, but they really started to see, yeah, people in Burma, they had a deep respect for nuns and monks and for anybody practicing meditation. But in the West, it's still a bit different. I mean, there is slowly a growing understanding that meditation does actually something good to you. But, so people who do not understand what this is all about, yeah, they simply think that this is something useless, you know, gazing at your navel and uh, walking around in a weird way and thinking it's just a waste of time. And then they also um, think, you know, it's boring or um, because they cannot do as they please, they cannot go wherever they want, they have to be mindful all the time, they have to walk slowly, they have to eat mindfully, they um, should not look around, should restrain their eyes, especially when the teacher has told them to, them to restrain their eyes. They cannot listen to music as they please. They cannot go to sleep whenever they want. 
and they cannot think or fantasize as much as they would like. So therefore, this practice simply doesn't make any sense to these people. They do not see the point why they should engage in such a kind of weird practice. But there is a reason why we should or why we need to engage in this practice, even if it seems a bit weird to some people. We need or we should engage in this practice because it is simply something that should be done or needs to be done. Or in other words, it's a work, a practice that cannot be left undone because it cannot be left undone because this is the only way to become free from suffering, the only way to find real and lasting peace and happiness. And many people in Burma understand this, at least on an intellectual uh, level. So with this practice of vipassana meditation, we are able to weaken and finally completely overcome the defilements, the kilesas. Kilesa is the Pali word. The common translation is defilements. They are also called afflictive states, afflictive states of mind, of heart. And you know these kilesas, these defilements. You deal with them every day. It's greed and hatred and attachment and craving and uh, skeptical doubt and jealousy and miserliness and all these kinds of mental states or emotions. In Burma, I have heard Sayadaw's talking about the 1,500 kilesas. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they speak of 84,000 uh, kilesas. So whether it's 1,500 or 84,000, there are many. <laughs> And all these different kilesas, defilements, uh, can be put into three groups. <coughs> One is the kayakama kilesa, that's the kilesas, the defilements, manifested as physical actions. Second group is vachikama kilesa, these are the defilements manifested in speech. And the third group is the Mano Kama Kilesa. These are the defilements manifested as a mental action or 
just manifested in the mind. And so this first group, the Kaya Kamakilesa, the defilements that are manifested as physical actions, this refers to the actions of killing, harming living beings, of stealing, and sexual misconduct. Then the Vachikamakilesa, the defilements manifested as speech. This refers to the four kinds of unwholesome speech, which is telling lies, backbiting, harsh and rude speech, and frivolous talk. And then what is called Mano Kamakilesa. So these are the defilements that manifest in the mind. The greed and the hatred and the aversion and the ill will and the craving and the attachment and the envy and the skeptical doubt and so on. These kilesas, defilements, they can be compared to a poisonous tree. So let's say there is a poisonous tree. So whenever people would go and pick the fruits of this tree or the leaves of this tree and eat the fruit or the leaves, then they would get sick, they would suffer from it. They may even die. And so one way of dealing with this is so if one does not want to um, suffer from these poisonous fruits and leaves from this tree, so then uh, one could cut the tree so to get rid of the tree so that nobody is ever tempted to uh, pluck and eat the fruits of this tree. And so cutting a huge tree, um, I've seen in Burma how they cut huge trees. So they climb up on the tree, go out on the branches as far as they can, and then start uh, sawing off, and then the next bit closer to the trunk, and in this way cutting off all the branches, and then the trunk also bit by bit at the top, uh, some of it, and then a bit further down, and cutting it, and further down. And so then, you know, if the job is done, cutting it uh, to the very bottom of the tree, so then one can no longer see the tree. But just cutting it off level with the ground is not yet enough because the roots are still in the ground. And if the roots are not taken out, then the tree could uh, start to grow again. And so therefore, one also needs to take out the root. As I said, the kilesas, they are very much like this poisonous tree. 
it's because of these kilesas that people or living beings are afflicted with mental suffering and also with physical suffering. So it's like eating the fruit of this poisonous tree. So if we do not want to suffer in any way, whether mentally nor physically, then we have to uh, uproot these kilesas. We have to cut down the kilesas. And in order to uproot these kilesas, to cut them down, dig them out with the roots, we have to practice vipassana meditation. Only with the practice of vipassana meditation are we able to uproot all the three levels of these kilesas, defilements. So the kaya kama kilesas, those manifested in physical actions, they could be compared with the flowers and leaves of the poisonous tree. The vajikama kilesa, those manifested as speech, they can be compared to the branches of the tree. The manokama kilesa, those manifested in the mind, they can be compared to the trunk of the tree. So besides these three kinds of kilesas that I just mentioned, there is another level of kilesas or defilements. And they are called anusaya kilesas, which means latent defilements. And these Anusaya Kilesas, they dwell in the continuum of the mind, so they are there in a latent state or in a dormant uh, state. So they are there, like being asleep, but they are able to arise, to kind of wake up and manifest whenever an object hits one of the six sense doors. To give you an example, Let's say you're at home, you have done all the work at home, and finally have some free time. So you take a book, sit down, start reading, and yeah, you're just happy and satisfied that you uh, have this time and can read. And then all of a sudden, the doorbell rings, and then maybe the thought comes up, oh no, I don't want visitors. So, you know, this is a manifestation of aversion. I don't want, you know, 
irritation, aversion comes up. So, you know, this aversion was not there while you were reading the book and just easily sitting there. But hearing the sound of the bell, of the door, so this latent aversion rose up and manifested as this thought. So these latent defilements, they rise to the surface when meeting with suitable conditions, a certain object impinging on one of the sense doors. And so these Anusaya kilesas, these latent defilements, they can be compared to the root of this tree. As you know, when we practice vipassana meditation, then we have to be mindful of whatever arises in the body, in the heart and mind. And so we are mindful to see them as they really are. And so during all the waking hours, we are doing this work of being mindful of whatever arises in this body and mind. And so, for a meditator who is mindfully observing all the different objects, the Noble Eightfold Path is contained in each moment of mindfulness. So the three sila factors, factors of virtue. This is contained because um, we are observing the precepts and right at that moment you do not engage in an unwholesome physical action, uh, you do not engage in an unwholesome verbal action. So the sila aspect is fulfilled. It's practice. Then the samadhi aspect it's also fulfilled by being one-pointedly focused on the object of your awareness. So this is being concentrated on the object that you are presently uh, mindful of. And then panya Wisdom, this is fulfilled by seeing, understanding the object as it really is, to see its true nature. And so, having this threefold division of the Noble Eightfold Path, like the threefold division of Sila Samadhi Panya, virtue, concentration, and wisdom. So then we get these three kinds of training. The Sila Sikha, training in virtue. Samadhi Sikha, training in concentration. And Panya Sikha, the training in wisdom.
And all these three kinds of trainings have the power to abandon the defilements. So now, which training is able to abandon which kind of defilements? So the training in virtue, the sila sikha, is able to abandon the kaya kamakilesa and vachikamakilesa, meaning the kilesas manifesting as physical actions and as speech. So training in virtue, keeping the, the precepts. So by keeping the precepts, one abstains from killing, harming living beings, one abstains from taking what is not given, stealing, one abstains from sexual misconduct. And so, as a consequence, the kaya kamakilesa do no longer arise. And by, by keeping the precepts, one also refrains from unwholesome speech, which is one refrains from telling lies, from backbiting, from harsh speech and from frivolous talk. And so as a consequence, then the vachikamakilesa do no longer arise. So with the sila sikha, training in virtue, we are able to abandon these two levels of kilesas, those who manifest as physical actions, those who manifest as verbal actions or as speech. Then the next training, the samadhi sikha, the training in concentration, this one uh, can abandon the manokama kilesas, those kilesas, those defilements that manifest in the mind. So the training in concentration uh, can be done by practicing any kind of samatha meditation, such as metta meditation or Buddha Nusati, the recollection of the Buddha's attributes. And as we have seen in the practice of Vipassana meditation, we can get a momentary concentration which also has the ability to keep the hindrances, the kilesas, the defilements at bay. And so, due to the practice of samatha, one-pointedness, then these defilements in the mind do no longer arise because of the strong concentration. And so, one can abandon these defilements at least temporarily for the time being, as long as the mind is uh, strongly concentrated. 
So as I've said, besides these three kinds of kilesas, the Kaya Kamakilesa, Vachi Kamakilesa, Mano Kamakilesa, there is another layer of defilements, the latent defilements, these Anusaya Kilesas, which are like the roots of the poisonous tree. And the roots of a tree can normally not be seen. They are in the earth, covered by earth. And so likewise, these Anusaya Kilesas, these latent defilements, they can also not be seen, at least not for the ordinary eye. And it's even difficult to understand them by reflection or by thinking about them. But they do exist, and it's actually because of these latent defilements that the other kinds of defilements arise. So those defilements manifesting in the mind, as speech, as physical actions, they arise based on these anusaya kilesas, on these latent defilements. So it is very important to know and understand them. It's really because these latent defilements are there that people and living beings suffer, that they feel miserable, that they get into problems. And because of these latent defilements, then the other levels of defilements arise. So most of the people not knowing uh, that they that these latent defilements exist, um, so they don't see any danger in them because they don't know about them. And not knowing that they uh, even exist, well, they don't uh, know that they should do something about it. So they are there, the Buddha mentioned them. We can uh, have the experience how this works. And there is really only th this practice of vipassana meditation that can finally then uh, weaken and uproot these latent defilements. There is no other way because with the um, training in virtue, we cannot uproot these latent defilements. Also the training in concentration, the Samadhi Sikha, cannot uproot these latent defilements. So it's only possible through the Panya Sikha, the training in wisdom and to develop wisdom, um, you have the practice of Vipassana meditation. 
now to make things a little bit more complicated, the Panyasika, the training in wisdom, is divided into two levels. One is the Vipassana Panya, the Vipassana wisdom, Vipassana insight, and the other level is the Maka Panya, the wisdom developed through path knowledge. So the Vipassana Panya, the wisdom developed through Vipassana, like the insights and understanding. This one can weaken, diminish these latent defilements and it can temporarily suppress them. And how this is done, um, I will explain later. It's only the Makapanya, the wisdom developed through the path knowledge, that can completely uproot these latent defilements. So past knowledge happens at the four stages of enlightenment. And this Makapanya, the wisdom through the past knowledge, this is not something we can develop or practice in the same way as we can practice and develop in Vipassana meditation. But it's through practicing Vipassana meditation and when the insights, the understanding become deeper and when they become mature, then the Makapanya will arise as a result of this practice. And this Makapanya, past knowledge, happens naturally. We cannot force it. When the conditions are all present, then it will happen. You know, if you are under an apple tree and the apples are not yet ripe, then you can spend many hours, many days under the apple tree and praying, oh, your apples, may you be ripe, may you be ripe, I want to eat you now. Uh, yes. They will not become ripe overnight only because you pray, but eventually, after weeks or so, then they will ripen, they will become mature. And so likewise with our practice, the practice ripens in its own speed. So just to give you an idea, like how this Magapanya can uproot the defilements. Like at the first stage of enlightenment, 
um, a number of defilements are completely uprooted, such as Vichikecha, the skeptical doubt, or Sakaya Ditti, the personality belief, or Sila Pata Paramasa, the wrong belief in rites and ritual as a means to uh, liberation. At the second stage of enlightenment, Magapanya does actually not uproot uh, kilesas, defilements, but it weakens the force of greed and anger. But then at the third stage of enlightenment, all forms of anger are uprooted and sense desire is uprooted. And then at the fourth stage of enlightenment, all the remaining defilements are uprooted, such as desire for the form, desire for the formless, conceit, mana, restlessness, uttacha, and ignorance, avijja. So now we are all um, engaging in the practice of vipassana meditation. And so whatever you are observing, whether it is something in your body or whether it is a mental process or phenomenon, so in every moment of strong and powerful mindfulness, all the three trainings are included in that moment of strong mindfulness, which means the trainings of virtue, concentration and wisdom, they are all present. And so in that moment, the different kilesas, they do not arise. So, the Kayakama Kilesa, manifested as physical action, do not arise. Vajikama Kilesa, those manifested as speech, do not arise. Manokama Kilesa, those manifested in the mind, do not arise. And even the latent defilements, the Anusaya Kilesa, they rest in the dormant state. You know, they do not flare up. They do not uh, manifest. And this can be experienced in your meditation. Let's take this example. You are in here meditating. The mind is clear. The object you are observing is clearly experienced, whether it's be, whether it is the rising and falling movement or whether a pain is clearly uh, noticed and observed. So, 
you are meditating. And then all of a sudden, some visitors open the door very noisily, come inside and talk and say, oh, what a beautiful Buddha is in here, and oh, look, meditators are meditating here. <laughs> so, if there were no mindfulness on your part, most likely, very quickly, you know, anger would uh, arise. You would get up, about, get, you would get upset about these visitors, you know, and being angry and breaking my concentration and couldn't you be a bit more considerate and so on. But now, in this case, with mindfulness, as I just said, uh, really being mindful of whatever object you're observing, clearly seeing what is happening. So, hearing this noise and voices, then you are not jumping up and punching the visitors into their face, which means there is no kayakama kilesa arising, no kilesa manifesting as a physical action. And also, because of your mindfulness and concentration, you are not cursing these visitors, which means there is no vajikama kilesa, no kilesa manifested as speech. And also, there are no thoughts around artists. Uh, noisy visitors and so on. Uh, so there are no manokama kilesas, no kilesas manifesting in the mind. And because you are simply mindful of the act of hearing, maybe noting it, hearing, 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 so then there is also no reaction to the sound, which means no anusaya kilesa is flaring up. No latent defilements will come into a state of manifestation. So while being engaged in the practice of vipassana meditation, one is able to temporarily abandon the kilesas, the defilements. All the different levels of the uh, defilements, including the latent defilements. And so now we see why this practice of vipassana meditation is a practice or a work we need to do, we need to engage in. It's not something that can be left undone. So as long as these latent defilements are not completely uprooted or destroyed, then they can 
come up or they can flare up, come into a state of manifestation whenever causes or conditions are favorable. So it's like a mango seed. If you have a mango seed on a concrete slab in a dark room, then nothing much will happen. But if you take this mango seed and put it into the earth, water it, if it's warm enough and there is, if there is light, then this mango seed will sprout and start to grow. Or another example, when I was in Burma, then after the hot season, when it's really terribly hot, boiling hot, and everything is so dry because it has not rained for six months. And then when the monsoon starts, so the first time it rains, then like within a few hours or overnight, the ground, which was kind of a sandy earth, all of a sudden there is like this velvet green carpet of grass starting to grow. You know, the grass, the seeds have been there all the time, but during the six months of the, when it's dry, nothing happened. But just a little bit of water and boom, <laughs> um, it starts to grow. So these are, it's like the Anusaya Kilesas, these latent defilements. They are there, they exist in a state of latency, and when favorable conditions arise, then they manifest, they grow. Or it's like this Western yogi meditator who had been practicing metta meditation, with a teacher somewhere in India. And this meditator, she thought that her metta meditation had really become very deep and that her heart was just full of metta and no more anger, no more ill will, all gone. Beautiful. And so then she left the monastery, took a rickshaw, and then the rickshaw driver was a bit too well, he wanted to touch her at uh, places he shouldn't, and so then, boom, <laughs> no more metta <laughs> in the yogi's mind. Aversion coming up. So the nature of these latent defilements is such that they stay in this state of being dormant as long as there are no suitable conditions. But as soon as there is a suitable condition, an object, an experience, then they wake up from their state of being dormant.
So with mindfulness, we can keep them at bay, but when we lack mindfulness, when we are not mindful, distracted, then <coughs> these latent defilements can come into a state of manifestation. And they also can be compared to a dormant volcano. So a volcano which is dormant, it's kind of quiet, no eruptions, no activity can be discerned. But then, all of a sudden, this volcano can erupt. And likewise, um, with the mind and the latent defilements, so the mind can be very calm and quiet, wholesome states of mind. But then, certain causes and conditions happen, and so then the mind can erupt, or the latent defilements erupt and uh, manifest as a defilement first of all in the mind, and when that defilement has a certain strength, then it can also manifest in the body or as speech. So mindfulness is one way to keep these latent defilements at bay. And to support mindfulness or to add another uh, practice, another practice is the restraint of the senses, the sense doors. And so like as I said this morning in the instructions. So for example, we can decide to restrain our eyes, the sense door of the eyes. And this can be um, a helpful tool in attenuating these latent defilements. So by reducing um, objects that could cause a latent defilements to arise, we simply do not give them a chance to arise. Sense restraint is done with determination and with mindfulness. For example, we can determine not to look around during the period of walking meditation. So we form this determination and then we use mindfulness to keep our eyes down, gazing on the ground uh, in front of us. And also we use mindfulness then to detect if there is any desire to look into the distance or to the side. And if we notice that a desire to look to the side, to look uh, far ahead, so then we simply 
notice this desire without giving in to the desire, without uh, going for the gratification that this desire promises. So a constant and continuous mindfulness helps keeping these latent defilements at bay. But if there are many gaps in one's mindfulness, then it is very easy for these anusaya kilesas, the latent defilements, to erupt, to arise. And so with this, you might better understand the need for uninterrupted and continuous mindfulness during the whole day. Uninterrupted and continuous mindfulness in the sitting meditation, the walking meditation, and also the mindfulness of the day-to-day or the daily activities. I will close the talk with a quote from a Western monk living uh, in Thailand. He said, The Kilesas are cunning, greedy, hateful, and expert in the games of deception. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.